So um, God works uh, pretty amazing ways at times. Uh, when I was at, in seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, this gentleman was, I, we probably passed in the hallway, we probably ate in the lunchroom or the cafeteria together, and I never met him. We went to church, you know, a mile down the road from each other, uh, and God brought us both to Lancaster County where uh, he showed up in my church one day uh, and has been an encourager uh, in my life since. Uh, Dr. Hal Pettigrew is an associate dean at Lancaster Bible College, uh, and he truly has been an encourager in my life. He's been a guy that uh, when I, could, I couldn't talk to anybody else, when I couldn't even tell my wife or about a struggle or a challenge, I could go to Dr. Pettigrew, and he's uh, been a tremendous influence in my life, and I know other uh, young men. So uh, we're thankful to have you this morning, Dr. Pettigrew. Thank you. It's, it's uh, my privilege to be with you on this beautiful, beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, let me say a, a good word about IPM. Uh, I served uh, on a pastoral staff in the Chicago area, an evangelical free church, and with a pastor that served there for 19 years. He was uh, one of the best Bible expositors that I think I have ever heard, uh, Pastor Marty Volz. And after Marty left that church, he went to IPM training, and then in the last five or six or seven years, he has been uh, interim pastor at several churches, and the Lord has just continued to bless his ministry. As a matter of fact, why don't you ask him to come here, uh, he and his wife, and they could stay at my home. Uh, they're good, good friends with us, and I can only speak for one person in that organization, but I know he is a, a, a wonderful pastor, and I think that you're, you have married, uh, you're marrying up with a, a, a very a positive organization. Well, <clears throat> the, the passage uh, this morning is just a fantastic uh, passage about what Christ has done for us, his finished work on the, the cross. And I, I think that I'm, I'm approaching this, this time this morning uh, not so sermonically with you, but more of a, of, of a Bible study. As I studied this passage during the last several days, I just kept thinking of scripture after scripture that related here, that provided background and context. And I'd love to be able to take time to read those scriptures. And I, I listed those in your bulletin, believe me, we won't read very many of them, but it would be something you could pursue beyond our, our, our time uh, this morning. If I had my way, I'd have you all in a Sunday school class here, and uh, we'd, we'd work this over together, uh, and that would really, really be fun, uh, but we're going to do the best we can in, in a, a large group situation here. This passage deals largely with our relationship with Christ, with the the matter of the heart. And here, here are key words to, to look for as, as we uh, study the passage this morning. It's heart, uh, relationship, fullness, filled, rooted, complete, and forgiven. Key words, key concepts in the in the scripture. Now I want to go back to where you left off uh, last week, Colossians 2, verses uh, 6 and 7, where I think Paul is really given the intention of, of his writing what he wants for the Colossians. And those verses say, therefore, as you, as you have received Christ the Lord, walk in him. And when it talks about walking, I think it's a great metaphor. 
We're talking about ongoing faithfulness, day in and day out, seeking the, the Lord. Rooted, there's my word for the sermon title this morning, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. And also, 110, he said, walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit, growing in the knowledge of him. And that's Paul's prayer, desire, wish. That's why he's writing this book is so that the Colossian folks will, will do that. And I love the word rooted. I think it's a, it's a great descriptive word. Uh, my wife is the weed puller in my family. Thank you, Sharon. Uh, but occasionally I get out there. This past week I was pulling a few weeds. And it's amazing how some of those little guys that you grab hold of are, are so rooted that it's really difficult to, to pull them out. And it's a picture of how we need to be in our Christian walk and in our Christian faith. There's a, my favorite psalm, perhaps, is Psalm chapter 1, and it says much the same thing. Let me read the first three verses of Psalms chapter 1. It says, How happy is a man who does not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path of sinners or join a group of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside streams of water that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. And I see that picture of the tree deeply rooted. The roots going way down, deeply rooted. And as a result, this person's a happy person, blessed and bearing fruit. And that's how the Lord wants our lives to be. That's how Paul wanted the lives of the, of the Colossians to be. And so that's his desire. And then in verse 8 of, of Colossians 2, he begins with this word, uh, beware. Uh, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty defeat based on human tradition based on the elemental forces of the world and not based on Christ. Be ever on guard, Paul says. Beware. Uh, it's a concern. Uh, we want you to be rooted, but be, beware. Be careful of these philosophies that are, that are out there. Now, this is not a rant against philosophy. Philosophy means love of wisdom. But it's a philosophies that is based and rooted in various kinds of, of uh, earthly traditions. Here in the book of Colossians, we have what we call, what the theologians have called the Colossians heresy. And largely, it seems to be uh, uh, what's called Gnosticism. And if you've been in church for a while, you've heard about the Gnostic guys who believe that there are levels of deity, but a deity could certainly not be fleshly. And so Christ could be one of those lower levels of deity, but he could not be uh, fully human, and they believed in angelic kinds of things and a deeper spiritual knowledge, and we'll look at that just a little bit more. And then what's not fully understood, it seems to be that some kind of Jewish tradition here. It's hard to understand in a, uh, a non-Jewish culture 
how uh, that could be, but Paul talks about circumcision in these verses, but some kind of combination of the Gnosticism and the Judaism. And he's, these are the particular and specific philosophies that he's, he's looking at. It says, beware of those kinds of things. And just as the Colossians were to be rooted and built up in, in Christ, so too should we be rooted and built up in Christ. And so too do we need to beware of human-centered philosophies. And we are surrounded these days, are we not, with human-centered philosophies. It's interesting, just a few days ago, um, these Gnostic guys don't, don't die, I guess. There was a uh, Gnostic text found uh, in a cave in, in, in Egypt, 4th century text, and, and uh, it suggested that maybe Jesus had a wife. Normally that is considered to be Mary Magdalene in the old, old text there. There's a Harvard professor who um, has argued that the Gnostics and the Christian faith, as we know it, and other branches were in competition with each other, and, and the Gnostic, the, as Christianity, as we know, it kind of won out over, but there, there's truth all over the place, and so the Gnostics had some truth there too. And so it's a way of putting down the, the faith, and so... Uh, the Gospel of Jesus' Wife. Very interesting uh, text that was, was found there. That's one of the kinds of things that we found uh, in our philosophies of the day. But more dangerous than that, I believe, is, uh, is uh, the philosophy of, of radical secularism that invades our, our world. It's a great book, hardest book to read, uh, by a gentleman named Charles Taylor called The, the Secular Age. And uh, it's a matter of uh, individual authenticity. Uh, Dr. Muller, president of Southern Seminary, where Ray and I were, uh, has written several blogs about this book and this particular philosophy. And uh, there's a sentence from the book. It says, I'm called upon to live my life in this way and not in imitation of anyone else's life, but this notion gives a new importance to being true to myself. If I am not, I miss the point. I miss what being human is for me. And it's kind of the big me. David Brooks, uh, New York columnist, not a Christian, has written a book. He talks about the, the big me and the, you know, we've, we've got to make our own decisions. We've got to... Uh, uh, decide for ourselves. We can't imitate anybody else, but it's, it's whatever is meaningful to us. And that seems to be a prevalent kind of, of philosophy in today's uh, day and age. It's, it's in the air that we breathe. It, it's very subtle. It affects us in, in different ways, and it affects the Christian community, and we need to be aware of that particular philosophy that's going on out there. I'd have to say that in our culture today, that I, I, I don't think there's been a more difficult time in human history for a committed Christian uh, to not be influenced by the, the news and the information that we're receiving in so many ways. We have these guys right here all the time speaking to us. 
We have our computers. We have TVs. We have all kinds of media. We're getting hundreds of messages each week and every day, and it's just very difficult to not be influenced. We can reject those messages, but we, we hear them. And so uh, we need to be very careful that we are bewaring that we're not being influenced by those particular uh, topics that are coming to us through different ways. So the Colossian warning, the warning to the Colossians is really good for ourselves. Well, the Colossian heresy, uh, verses 16 through 23, and uh, we'll just spend a few moments with the Colossian heresy. Let me read those verses. Paul says, don't let anyone judge you in matter to uh, regard to food or drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is the Messiah. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm and inflated without cause by his unspiritual mind, he doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, develops with growth from God. And then verses 20 to 23, if you died with the Messiah to the elemental forces of the world, why do you live as if you still belonged to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destroyed by being used up. They are commands and doctrines of men. Although these have a reputation of, of wisdom by promoting ascetic practices and humility and severe treatment of the body, they're not of any value in curbing uh, self-indulgence. This passage gets to the matter of, of Christian Freedom, and it's a passage about about legalism, and it's a it's a whole nother sermon. Uh, Romans 14. Are you familiar with Romans 14, which which talks about the freedom of the of the Christian and, and the kinds of, of uh, activities that he is involved in? But yet, be careful of the weaker brother. Uh, I'm sure that you have studied that particular passage from from time to time. This matter of legalism is always, is always with us. We want to add these kinds of requirements on top of our faith in Christ and believing solely in him. And so the Gnostics and whoever else was there as part of this heresy may have had some kind of understanding of who Jesus was, but there, there was a whole list of other kinds of things that, that you were to do. And I could uh, do a, a, a long uh, personal discussion about this. I was raised in a Baptist fundamentalist uh, home, and we had lots of things that if you were a member of our church, you didn't do. And the way you looked, the activities that you participated in, and so on and so forth, and uh, you would just not feel very comfortable in our congregation if you did some of these particular things, and we won't go into that. But legalism is always with us, and we need to uh, be careful that we're not looking to more than our faith and in, in, in Christ and trust in him, but we're solely depending upon him for our relationship 
with him. Uh, uh, Several commentators referred here, as I studied this passage, to Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 through 20. And that's the passage that says, out of the abundance of the heart, the the mouth speaketh. And then Christ talks about the kinds of of evil actions that come out of the out of the heart. Here, the heart word. The heart is is central. You can be doing all these kinds of things out here, but if your heart is not where it needs to be, then we've missed what we're supposed to be doing and what we're supposed to be about. Well, the Colossians heresy, and let me go to then to verse nine through fifteen, which is the key, I think, in this particular passage. Verse nine says. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. The fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And probably the phrase dwells bodily in Christ was to refute again the Gnostics who believe that, that the God... Uh, uh, could not be uh, in, in incorporate any kind of, of human flesh. Uh, the book of Galatians gets, uh, refutes the, the Gnostic heresy. 1 John 1.1, 1, 1. John says there that uh, what we have seen, what we've heard, what we've observed, what we've touched, and he's talking about Christ, and he's saying, hey, there was a, a real human here. He was really physical, and he was God. 1 John uh, chapter, chapter 1. So, uh, dwelling in the, in the flesh uh, is, is an important understanding of, of who Christ was, fully God and, and fully man. And when I read this uh, passage about the fullness, Christ having the fullness of God's nature, I think of John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. John 1, 14 through 18. And it says... The word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son, full of grace and truth. And John testified concerning him and explained, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me has surpassed me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from his fullness. For although the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. Wow, that's a great passage. You've talked already here about the sufficiency of Christ and the earlier passages here in in Colossians, but a wonderful passage on who Christ is and possessing the fullness of of godness and full of of grace and truth. And he reveals uh, uh, his glory, the glory of the the one and only God the Father. I appreciate so much the uh, thanks for the music worship folks that, that lead us and music worship has just become such a significant part in my life and in worshiping Christ and uh, just to feel uh, the presence of God through uh, various numbers that, that we sing, great selection of, of music this, this morning and uh, it's important 
however, that the, the uh, words, the songs that we, we sing uh, get to where we need to be and, and express truthfulness. There's a song that, uh, that's uh, very well known, um, and you've probably heard it on the radio. Maybe you've sung it here, and I don't want to be critical about anything that you might have sung here. Uh, uh, but we, we sang it actually in my church last Sunday. And uh, I, I get concerned about the, the words to the, to the song. It's uh, open up the heavens. You heard that song? It's, you know, it's, it's, clap, you know, it's a very attractive song, and you can clap your hands and stomp your feet and all that kind of thing with that song. It, it's hard to get the melody out of your, out of your head. Uh, but the, the words, that's our said several times at the first, open up the heavens, we want to see you. Open up the heavens, we want to see you. And I'm thinking, open up the Bible so we can see you. That would be a better word. Then I'm not sure what we're saying is open up the heavens so we can see you. And, and the worser than that, uh, if there's such a word as worser, worser than that is uh, the words, show us, show us your glory. And I thought about that. I think Jesus showed all there was of God and the glory of God supremely. What else are we asking for when we say, show us, show us your glory? Are we looking for some kind of trade of the lost ark, Indiana Jones kind of thing, for God to come down and there'd be explosions and things like that? I'm not sure uh, what that's referring to at that particular point. But it seems like that God in Christ has revealed his glory. As a matter of fact, the Gospel of John, you know, was written through to substantiate the fact that Jesus Christ was God. And there are signs in the book, seven signs to uh, the Gospel of John to indicate that Jesus was God. And, uh, and Jesus did these miracles in John chapter 6. It's interesting that he has just done the loaves and fishes miracle there. And yet later on in that chapter... The people there are asking for another miracle or for a sign. Give us a sign. Uh, okay, we saw you do the loaves and fishes, but Moses did that in the wilderness. But Moses didn't do that. God did the miracle there. Uh, so uh, looking for signs. We have in Jesus Christ the fullness of, of God and his glory. And it's, you know, uh, who we worship and the fact that Christ has come for us and, and revealed himself and revealed Godness to us is just a fantastic, wonderful thing that, that we have, and we should thank the Lord so much for that. And then this verse 210 says, You have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and over every authority. And when I read that this past several days, filled by him who is the head. I thought, wow, but what does it mean to be filled by him? You know, I've, I know the Christ in you, the hope of glory and verses like that, and this is not anything new, but, but that phrase just caught my attention and made me think, okay, what's, what's going on here? And I began thinking then, again, of some other Bible verses, John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. And it says, On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, 
he should come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep, get the word deep, flow from deep within him. He said this about the spirit whom those who believed in him were going to receive. For the spirit had not yet been received because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So the promise that's later fulfilled of the spirit who would indwell us and that living water would flow out from with, within us. Galatians 5, and 23, verses that you know. The fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faith and gentleness and self-control against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We live by the Spirit. We must also follow the Spirit. You see, the, the Colossian heretics had it backwards. That is, they were trying to do all these things out here to apparently satisfy the Lord. And what these verses seem to say is it's out of who we are and out of God's indwelling us through his Holy Spirit that we live our lives with love and joy and peace and patience, which flows out into our regular, ongoing lifestyle. It makes a difference in our life as we live. And when we talk about stewardship of life in the hands area, the doing area of our, our life, that's all affected by God's Spirit residing within us. Here's another uh, verse and chapter book, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 15 and 16. I think 1 Corinthians 2, chapter 2, is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. It talks about how we come to uh, know, uh, know Christ and, and understand him. But uh, Paul says in verses 15 and 16, the spiritual person can evaluate everything, yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Wow. We have the mind of Christ. Well, what does that mean? And I think that's part of being filled with Christ. Uh, I think it means that we are able to correctly think the thoughts of, of God. I think it means that we can better uh, discern uh, spiritual truth and spiritual realities. It's all part of it. So uh, the question, what are the implications of being filled by Christ? Does that mean, that, as some people believe, that we become gods? We're, we're kind of like Christ. You know, uh, there are cults that believe that kind of thing. No, it, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that, that we are made complete. When, when Christ comes into our life, we are made complete in him. Uh, when a person is born into the family of God, all the pieces are there. Uh, he has fully come into our lives. Uh, growth that we experience takes place from the inside out, not from the outside in. Our life becomes rooted in him. We're in relationship with him. Get the word relationship, the word heart, relationship. We're spiritually, we become spiritually alive. It means that 
uh, to put it another way, that the righteousness and holiness of God have been imputed to us. It's not that we become good by our activities, but his holiness and righteousness is accounted uh, to our account. Spiritually alive, the heart matter. And this is, this is uh, deep. This is hard, hard to understand. I'm, I was thinking as I studied this, these scriptures, I thought, am I, am I really getting all that is here? That's why I'd love to have a small group kind of thing for, for you all to talk and share and, and think about this together. Well, verses 11 through 15 are further elaborations on verse 10. There are other ways of, of making the point. Verse 11, you are circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of the Messiah. The circumcision is a, uh, an activity that, that we're not really uh, very familiar with and in uh, our traditions, as the, as the Jews were, uh, one commentator says about this verse, circumcision was established and mandated by God in the Old Testament for entrance into the covenant community of his people. But the circumcision of the Messiah was spiritual and associated with the circumcision of the heart. As a matter of fact, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16 says that. Deuteronomy chapter 30 uh, verse 6 says that, and Romans chapter 2, verse 29, talks about the circumcision of the heart. So what it is saying is that, again, there is spiritual interchange that takes place when we become a believer, and he's speaking to this in terms of, of circumcision. Apparently, some readers were, had that background as they uh, were living there in uh, the, the area of Colossians. And then in verse 12, we get to the matter of, of baptism. Verse 12 says, Having been buried with him in baptism, you are also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him uh, from the dead. Uh, and in baptism, uh, we, we can, it's just a scene in, in different ways. We were baptized by the Spirit at the point of salvation. And then there's this matter of, of, of water baptism, which is, is a symbol. As I have baptized people, the thought is that buried with him in baptism, in his death, and raised to walk in newness of life. It's the picture of what happens. We identify with Christ and we, uh, in, in his death and burial, and the kind of life then that as we come up out of the waters, raised to walk in newness of life with him. Then verse 13. Uh, and when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. Dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. We're dead in our sins and in our trespasses. Ephesians chapter 2, if we had time, we would look at that particular text that talks about being dead in our sins and trespasses, and it's Christ who makes us alive. In the scriptures, there's three kinds of death. There's physical death. In the book of Revelation, there is eternal death in terms of uh, eternal damnation 
And then there's this matter of, of spiritual, spiritual death. Spiritual death happens when Adam sinned and we were separated from God. The relationship was broken at that particular point. And so that is, talks about spiritual death. My, I was the, I was the uh, executor of the state for my, my father. Uh, he died back in 1995. And uh, we still get stuff with his name on it in my house, magazines, and no matter what I've done to try to stop those things, we, we get them. And as a matter of fact, one of the crazy things is that my father's name, Harry Pettigrew, shows up on my cell phone sometimes when I call somebody. And I went home one day a few weeks ago, and my wife said, well, Harry called today. And I thought, well, wow. Uh, uh, but really, Harry, Harry is, is deceased. My dad is deceased. He's really dead. And listen, we were, we were really, really spiritually dead, really separated from him. There was nothing that we could, could do about that in and of ourselves. But this is talking about how God has come into our lives and made us alive. Again, elaborating on verse 10 on the fullness of being, having the fullness of, of Christ. Buried with him in baptism and dead and made alive but forgiven. And this wonderful picture of forgiven. Forgiveness, verse 13. Let me read 13 and 14 together. And you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. He made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. The intent of these two verses is to say, we are really forgiven. He's erased, he's erased the debt that, that we owe to him. Talks about the uh, certificate of debt with its ob- obligations. Uh, some discussion about that among people who exegete the scripture, but generally uh, the common thought is that, that it's talking about the Mosaic law that that was against us in the sense that we were insufficient in and of ourselves, unable in, to keep the Mosaic law. And so we accumulated kind of a, an IOU to, to the Lord because we, we just couldn't, couldn't get there. And he's, he's taken all that, all of our sin, all those kinds of things, he's erased them and he's nailed them to the cross. We are forgiven of our sin. Now, sometimes when we become believers, we have a tendency to drag the past with us and to keep in mind the kind of life that we uh, lived before, the sins that we had. And, and uh, Satan in the book of Revelation is called the accuser of the brethren. And he comes to us and he puts doubts in our minds and he gives us these kinds of guilt feelings about, hey, you, you shouldn't have, you know, did you do that? You shouldn't have done that. Listen, it, it's all forgiven by Christ and his work. It's, it's all forgiven. Wonderful. It's a tremendous passage. Wonderful. Uh, verse 15, it says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. And this has a picture of a, of a triumphal processional 
Christ defeated the powers of sin and darkness of Satan and his demons, that there was this, uh, upon his death and burial and resurrection, uh, victory over sin and death, that there is this kind of triumphal procession that, that has happened in, in rejoicing about what the Lord has, has done. So three questions here in this Sunday school class. Yes, um, question number one, someone comes up to you and they say, uh, well, what do you think it means to be filled with Christ? What's that look like in your life? What's the picture that you have about being filled by Christ? What's your application of being filled by Christ? Question two. I have a friend. He's a vice president of Lifeway. A good friend that we worked on pastoral staff and at Southern Seminary together. And, and we talk about this a lot. And it seems like we... Me, us, the Christian community, could do better than what we do. It seems like there's a, a lot of times a pretty big gap between the position that we have in Christ being filled with him and what our life looks like. Why is that? And how would you interpret that for yourself? Question three, what would it take in your own life to fill that gap? What do you need to be doing in your relationship with Jesus Christ that draws you closer to him and makes you look more like him? And I ask this to myself. There are some pretty good hints here, this matter of Day in, day out, seeking him, walking faithfully, reading the word of God, praying. All that is, it cannot be underestimated in terms of our, uh, what our, our life looks like. But ponder those questions. And, and one, one more thing I would say about this last question. How do we get there? is verse 19 in this chapter, we've already read it, which says that he doesn't hold on to the head, and Christ being the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, develops with growth from God. Now, chapters 1 and 2 in the book of Colossians is largely doctrinal, theological, but chapters 3 and 4 gets more to application, and there are some wonderful verses and understandings about the church and your role in the church and the relationship of you with other believers. And I think that verse 19 of chapter 2 is saying that, that if we want to grow in that relationship with him, it has something to do with connecting with other believers in the congregation. And I'll let whoever's going to do chapters 3 and 4, take up that particular theme. But I think that is part of the answer to the gap. 
Well, a wonderful passage. More, more, here's more there that uh, I probably don't understand than I do understand. Uh, but there are tremendous, wonderful promises about what Christ has done for us, what he's made possible for us, the position that we have before the Lord, the relationship that we can have with him. Uh, maybe uh, this morning, I don't know, but maybe this morning there's someone here who has never experienced the presence of the Lord, who's never accepted Christ in their lives. Uh, I know that uh, there'll be elders here at the front that if you were interested in speaking, and, and uh, I would be glad to, to also to, uh, to speak with anyone. But let's praise the Lord for what he's done for us. That's right. I think um, the book of Colossians uh, comes at a perfect time the place we are as a church because Christ is central in all things. And so as we think about uh, uh, what he's done in our lives, uh, that we need to continually look to him, that he makes us full, he makes us complete. Uh, those are great truths for us to, uh, to, to dwell on. If, if today, as uh, Dr. Pettigrew said, if today you do not know Christ, you have not experienced the fullness and the completeness, uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and you don't understand what I'm talking about, I'm going to encourage you to come talk to me, and, or Morgan will be up here as well, and other elders uh, will be up there, up here with us. And if you want to pray, we will be here to pray and talk with you. A um, couple things to pray for today, as uh, this week, three things, three ministries that will be going on this week. The New York City um, Vacation Bible School team led by Bruce and Teresa Nyers and, and several of our teenagers from the school will be going up from the church and school will be going up to New York City this week. So please remember them. Uh, Alan Toth will be leaving uh, Friday, right, to Hungary uh, for two weeks right? Uh, for two weeks for the baseball ministry, uh, pray for him that he would be bold uh, and caring as he shares the gospel with uh, these baseball uh, players in Hungary. And then um, three, remember Upward. Upward is this week. We'll be sharing the gospel with the children uh, as they come and learn about basketball. We want to teach them about Christ more than we want to teach them about basketball. It's just that's why we do what we do. So let me pray and then we can be dismissed. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for sending your son that, that we might have life, that we might be made complete in him. Lord, I thank you that, that in him we can have peace, that in him we can have joy despite the circumstances that we find ourselves in because he is there and present with us. God, Lord, I pray that you'd bless us as we go through this week. Lord, I pray for our ministries that, that are happening this week, our mission uh, missions opportunities and outreach opportunities that are happening. And, Lord, I pray that you would be lifted high and that your, your gospel would be uh, effectively taught into hearts. And, Lord, that people would respond to the saving message of your, your death, burial, and resurrection. God, we thank you. You are good to us and pray that you would continue to bless us. Lord, thank you. Amen.